Well, we've been in the in the uh, past several weeks. We've been in a series. We've been actually going through the Gospel of Mark. Uh, I'm just, uh, if you know, we left off last week in, in chapter seven. Um, would have, should have been in chapter seven today. And if you think about some of the things that have gone on this year and 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 how we've kind of worked through this series, um, we've had a lot of interruptions. Uh, a couple snow days. Um, some things have happened. Uh, um, actually, I. I, when I planned this out at the beginning of the year and I thought, you know, here's how I'm going to do all this stuff, uh, uh, as I got to doing some studying and some look at looking at the Gospel of Mark, and I've actually added a couple of of, of things, uh, added a, added a couple of um, chapters that I was going to that I wasn't planning on using in the first place, but uh, um, it's just uh, the way that the flow of Mark's Gospel. It's just an incredible thing. I hope that it's something that you have have enjoyed just really getting to know this book. And um, I'm just amazed that every time that I've, as I've been working in this uh, this book here, um, just the things that I'm learning. But um, we're, uh, we're not going to be in Chapter 7 today. We're actually going to jump ahead to Chapter 11. Hopefully, uh, after Easter, we'll be able to pick up a little bit where we left off. And actually, yes, uh, this week, I, I've went through, and we're actually going to kind of move it around a little bit. Um, after Easter, we're going to go back to chapter, uh, I believe it's, uh, we're going to end up in chapter 13, and then we're going to go back to 7, And but I hope that that won't mess you up. It may mess me up, but I hope it won't mess you up. Of course, I'm already messed up, but um, hopefully it won't mess you up as far as the flow of Mark's gospel, because it's just, it's amazing how he puts this together, and you start to look and see how everything is tying together. Anyway, what I wanted to do today, as I, 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 I fully planned on coming and, and looking at Mark chapter 11 today about this triumphal entry, and, and my thinking was, is that, well, just, just to let you know, I realize that today's, um, this, this is a, a Palm Sunday text, and just wanted to kind of let you know, I know that it's not Palm Sunday, that's still a week away, I don't want to confuse you on the calendar, um, but I did think that... Uh, we could handle covering this text a week early uh, because of what we're going to be doing. But, but I thought that this would be a simple text. This, my whole intention was to, to simply call your attention to the fact that, that at this point in the life of Jesus, that they're all crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, you know, and then um, it's, uh, you know, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. But then it was less than a week later, and those cries of Hosanna would turn to cries of crucify him, crucify him. And I simply wanted to just make a simple point that we either choose to worship Jesus or we choose to reject him. And so that's just what I wanted to do. Real simple. In fact, if you read Mark chapter 11, you understand, you, you can probably understand why I was, you know, why I would think that. Well, actually, let's look at Mark chapter 11. We'll look at verse number one. Um, we'll start out there in, in this, this verse. So I'll give you a little bit of time to be able to get to your, to that passage there as, Mark chapter 11, starting with verse 1. Um, if you have your Bibles with you, it's, it might be helpful to you today to, to have them open because we might skip around just a little bit. So Mark chapter 11, verse 1, and here's what it says. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Tell him the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. 
Uh, they went and they found a colt outside in the street, tied it at the, tied at the uh, doorway, and as they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? And they answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw the cloaks over it, he sat on it. And many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who sent, or those who went ahead and, and, and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Well, it really seemed logical to me to, as a, you know, to look at this text about people who are just so excited about, about Jesus. They're coming into Jerusalem. I mean, it is, after all, this text here is a fulfillment of Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, where this idea of the Messiah riding into Jerusalem on this, the back of this untamed colt is predicted. And it, it, it even fits the imagery of Genesis chapter 49, where, you know, when this father is blessing his 12 sons, Jacob or Israel, um, as we, he came to be known, he, he comes to, he's blessing all of his sons, and he comes down to Judah, the lion of the tribe of Judah, and he anticipates that there will be one coming who will have something to do with a colt. So all of this really made sense in my mind. Well, well, that's what I wanted to do, and I wanted to contrast those hosannas for you with what occurs, well, for example, in uh, verse 18 of chapter 11, where he, he says that the chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill Jesus. I wanted to contrast that. Now, you know, it's the, it's the simple journey from Hosanna to crucify him. The, the problem was, I kept reading the text and I asked myself, is that really what this text is trying to say to us? And I really would have been okay if I hadn't read the next section. The, the problem is, is that I had a lot more questions. I mean, the, the, the next day he's walking down the road and, and he sees a fig tree and it's leafed out, but there are no figs, and so he curses it. That just seems a little bit odd, doesn't it? Then they go into Jerusalem and he turns the money tables upside down and he chases the buyers and the sellers out of the courtyard of the Gentiles and then they go back home. Well, then the next day they're back in and, and they look at the fig tree and they say, whoa, would you check that out? My goodness, it's, it's withered. And I'm thinking to myself, what in the world is that all about? Now, we've seen this already as we've looked at this series. It's typical of Mark to interpret, uh, or I'm sorry, to interrupt a story with another story and then go back and finish the other story, right? Usually when Mark does that, there's a reason for it. He usually is telling us to, to, to pay attention, that this story is going to, to tell you, uh, it's, it's going to explain the other story and, and, and vice versa. And, and, and we, we, we learn what both stories mean by seeing how they're linked together. Well, I want you to look at verse number 12. I don't, I, frankly, here's, here's the thing. I, I don't think it's fair for me that I should be the only one that should have to wrestle with these questions over this text. I really thought that you needed to wrestle with them too, okay? So that's what I'm, 
Uh, I just didn't think it would be fair. So I, that's why, where we're at today. Verse number 12, look at this. The next day as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Just, that's an important sentence there. You don't want to overlook that. It, it's not supposed to have figs. He comes to a fig tree, and it's, it's not the season for, for figs, and yet he notices that there are no figs. But look what happens. Then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. I mean, he curses the fig tree for not having fruit when it's not supposed to have any fruit. Do you have any questions yet on this? See, I do. But then he goes on. Look at verse number 15. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling. Notice that he says buying and selling. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, it is, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations but you have made it a den of robbers. A den of robbers. Well, you know, most people look at that and they say, well, that's because there was a bunch of buying and selling going on in there, and it's, it's a bunch of thieves, and they're taking advantage of people. And, but that wouldn't be a den of robbers. A, a den is the, where the robbers go to in order to be safe. The haven, the, it's, it's where they hide. The den is the safe place. It's the haven. It's where they hide. And, and yet he calls this temple area the den, the place where you go after you have stolen, not the place you go to steal. So my questions just keep coming on this. So it, it, look at verse, what it says in verse 20. It says, In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Kind of sound surprised. Like it wouldn't be if it wouldn't be if Jesus cursed it, right? But look at Jesus' response. Have faith in God. I want you to, 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 to notice this, to keep this section open, this next part here, verse 22 and follow, because we're going to come back to it a little bit later. But he says, have, have faith in God. I tell you the truth, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that he, what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. And I looked at that text, and I have so many questions. I mean, this whole cleansing of the temple thing, and, and you know, what's that about? Well, well... You know, some people say it's because of the injustice that was going on, right? They, they should have been selling stuff in, in, in the temple grounds. Uh, I mean, after all, this is a place of worship, right? And, and here these people are selling doves and pigeons, pigeons and, and changing money. And Jesus is, is apparently all upset about that. And, 
And yet when you think about it, they didn't have any other choice. I mean, somebody had to sell them animals. I mean, because see, if you were a Jewish male and you came to Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles or for Passover, and they had to bring a sacrifice. And of course, the sacrifice had to be perfect. It had to be untainted. Well, you know, you think about it. By the, by the time that, that you travel for several days and your sacrifices, and it, it's not perfect anymore, right? I mean, even if it was when you left home, it would come in contact with a bunch of unclean stuff, and, and all of a sudden it's no longer worthy to be sacrifices. And so there had to be a place where a traveling Jewish man could come and, and could buy sacrifices to offer to God. And so it seems just a little bit odd to me for Jesus to be mad about that. And, and the money thing. I, I mean, there, 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 was a, there, there was a temple tax, and, and, and the temple tax had to be offered in, in a certain kind of coin. And so they came from other con countries. I, I, I think about, uh, you know, they, they didn't have the right kind of coin. I was just thinking about when we, uh, the boys and I, we went to Canada here uh, fishing a, a year ago, and, and we had to go in there and we exchanged. Well, we didn't really have to exchange it. We, but, you know, some countries you go to, you have to exchange the coinage, you know. Uh, that's what they had to do. They had to bring, the, they brought in their foreign currency, and somebody had to exchange it into temple money. Well, well maybe, maybe there was some corruption going on there. I mean, that's been one of the speculations. But notice Jesus doesn't address that. He doesn't say the problem is you're, well, you're just cheating these people. He didn't say that. Well, maybe, maybe it's because it was in the court of the Gentiles. I mean, after all, that was the only place that they could go to have some kind of access to God and Maybe the problem is that the Jews had taken over the only space that, that actually belonged to the Gentiles. Therefore, they didn't have any access to God. Well, there's probably some truth to that. And yet, quite frankly, nobody cared whether the Gentiles had a spot or not. Besides, I mean, the money changers weren't taking up the entire court. It, it probably is just one little corner. Maybe, maybe it was because of the circus atmosphere. And you, you came to the place where it's supposed to be this place of worship, and, and there's all these things that are happening, this, this, uh, this hubbub and everything going on, and, and it's just the atmosphere. And maybe that was the thing that Jesus didn't like. At least I hope what I'm doing is is at least in your mind, is bringing up some more questions and some more thoughts about this. But see, that's, that's the problem that I had, is, that, is that all the questions that I had. I just didn't have any good answer to the question, you know, why is he cleansing the temple? What does that have to do with the fig tree? Well, I decided to look and, and to see where those quotations came from. I mean, you know, after all, Mark is very careful to tell us that this is a quotation. You know, he says it's written... My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. That den of robbers language shows up in Jeremiah chapter 7. So I decided that if, to see if Jeremiah had anything that might clarify what this text is really all about. And so I jumped back to Jeremiah chapter 7. 
if you want to look there. Chapter, Jeremiah chapter 7 starts this way. I pay close attention to this. This is, this is some really good stuff. This is uh, what he says in verse number 1, Jeremiah chapter 7. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand at the gate of the Lord's house and there proclaim this message. Hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Jerusalem who, came, who come through these gates to worship the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, reform your ways and your actions and I will let you live in this place. Do not trust in deceptive words and say, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. If you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, if you do not oppress the alien, the fatherless, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place, in the land I gave your forefathers forever and ever. But look, you are trusting in deceptive words that are worthless. Will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal, and follow other gods you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house which bears my name and say, we are safe? Safe to do all these detestable things? Has this house which bears my name become a den of robbers to you? But I have been watching, declares the Lord. Go now to the place in Shiloh where I first made a dwelling for my name and see what I did it did to it because of the wickedness of my people Israel. While you were doing all these things, declares the Lord, I spoke to you again and again, but you did not listen. I called you, but you did not answer. Therefore, what I did to Shiloh, I will now do to the house that bears my name, the temple you trust in, the place I ha- gave to you and your fathers. I will thrust you from my presence just as I did all your brothers, the people of Ephraim. This temple had become a den of robbers. It had become a place where they thought that if they were there on Saturdays, it was now safe for them to do anything that they wanted during the rest of the week. They could worship other gods. They could be immoral. They could practice sin. They could avoid the Ten Commandments. But as long as that they were in that safe place, that sacred space on the right day, on the right, at the right time, it was a place of safety. Well, then I wondered about this other quotation from Isaiah. My house, he says, will be a house called the house of prayer for all nations. I mean, if looking at Jeremiah helped me, Maybe looking at Isaiah 56 could be helpful. Isaiah 56, starting with verse 1. This is what the Lord says. Maintain justice and do what is right. For my salvation is close at hand and my righteousness will soon be revealed. Uh, Blessed is the man who does this. The man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath without desecrating it, and keeps his hand from doing any evil, let no foreigner who has bound himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely exclude me from his people. 
Let me read that verse again. Verse 3. Let no foreigner who has bound himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people, and let not, and let not any eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant. To them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to serve him to love the name of the Lord and to worship him, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and who hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offering and sacri- offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations The sovereign Lord declares, he who gathers the exiles of Israel, I will gather still others to them besides those already gathered. Do you hear what he's suggesting there? See, there was this group of people who were afraid that they would be excluded from the house of the Lord. And and yet he says, if your heart is right with me, it doesn't matter that you're not one of Israel's finest. You can come to my house and you can have a name and you can have a covenant. What matters is that you come to me. And then he says, my house, this place where you come, should be a house for all nations to come. There's this radical change. It's a call to change of life in both of these texts. It's a radical call to be different than anyone else out there. You be my people. And this will be a house of prayer for all nations. But no, he says, you've made it a den of robbers. You've made it a place where thieves hang out. Now, now think about that in the context of Mark. He, he comes along and he sees this fig tree that's not bearing fruit. And he says, now I want you to pay attention. I'm going to teach you a lesson. And he goes to the temple and he cleanses it. And the fig tree withers. And the fig tree becomes a parable of exactly what's going to happen to Israel in a matter of days when the temple is eliminated as the place where God dwells. There's this new order of business about to be established in this place. We don't have time to do this, um, but but let me just encourage you to read the parable of the tenants in chapter 12. Just the the first 12 verses, I think it's 12 verses of of chapter 12 there. It's it's, it's full of Old Testament imagery, but but you remember what it is. A man plants his, uh, maybe some of you remember this, but a man plants a vineyard. He rents it out to some tenants, or, or I'm sorry, some farmers to take care of it. And then at harvest time, he sends the number, a number of servants to collect the rent. But the tenants, they mistreat some of the servants, and, and some of the servants they kill. And so finally he what? He sends his, his son, his only son. And, and what do they do with his son? They kill them. And, and they cast him out of the vineyard. Well, what do you think is going to happen in about three chapters from in, in this book? They're going to do that same very thing. They're going to kill the son. See, the Jewish leadership, they understood this parable completely. They had been the tenants. They had been the caretakers of the vineyard, and they failed to provide the fruit that God intended it to have. 
And what this parable teaches us, like the fig tree and the temple cleansing teaches us, is that there is a new order of business. Jesus breaks onto the scene. He condemns that old order concerning, or, uh, by condemning the temple. And the temple is no longer a place of safety. It's just withering fruit. And then he announces the new good news. Look at verse, you, you still got verse 22 there, uh, finger in that. Look at verse 22 of chapter 11. What, here's what, he, what Jesus says. He says, have faith in God. That is one of the characteristics of the new order, to believe that God can do whatever it is that God needs to do. But I don't want you to miss this. Verse 23, listen to this. This, I think, is one of the key verses here. I tell you the truth, he says, if anyone says to this mountain, this is going to blow your mind, if anyone says to this mountain, you ready for this? Go throw yourself into the sea. He doesn't say to say to any mountain. He says to say to this mountain. Which mountain? The one that he is standing on. Well, what mountain is he on? He is on the temple mount. He is there in Jerusalem at the temple grounds, and he's saying, if anyone says to this mountain, be cast into the sea. Do you remember what we, we studied a couple weeks ago? Remember a few chapters back where he had herd of pigs that got demon-possessed, and what happened? They ended up in the sea. Where's the temple going to end up? In the sea. See, this is not a blanket statement uh, or a blanket invitation to create mountains for us, you know. This is about this mountain and the destruction of the old order. And the characteristic of the new orders, uh, the characteristics of the new order are this, that you have to trust in God. You have to have faith in God that He can do what He needs to do. And then in verse 24, He says, and pray. Well, why? Because prayer is access to God. When the old order is destroyed, there's no longer a priest that's standing between you and the Father. In fact, remember what happens when Jesus dies? The temple veil is torn from top to bottom as a way of saying, you are now invited into my presence. You now have full, complete access to me. And so the new order includes faith and it includes access to, to God. And, but there's one more thing, verse 25. When you pray, he says... Forgive, because the new order is characterized by forgiveness. Forgiveness that we receive and forgiveness that we give to other people. This text, this text, the cursing of that fig tree, the cleansing of that temple, is to tell you this, the old order is gone, the new order has come, and this new order is about faith, it's about access to God, and it is about forgiveness. I mean, it is little wonder why that, why, that, that Hosanna turned to crucify him because those leaders knew that he was talking about them. So what's the point? 
Well, I think the point is this. Salvation is not a place where you go. Salvation is a person you know. It has nothing to do with 834 North Main Street. It is about a person, not a place. It is not about a place of safety because salvation is believing in a person, in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. It is having faith in the one who sets this new order in place. One of my favorite books is The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. I, I just want to read a brief part of that. When it, it's when Aslam shows up on the scene and the children have entered Narnia. They're, they're at the house of the beavers, and here's what it says. It's no good, son of Adam, said Mr. Beaver. Good, No good you're trying, of all people, but now that Aslan is on the move, oh, yes, tell us about Aslan. Once again, that strange feeling, like the first signs of spring, like good news had come over them. Who is Aslan? asked Susan. Aslan, said Mr. Beaver. Why, don't you know? He's the king. He's the lord of the whole wood. He's not here very often, you understand. He's never been here in my time or my father's time, but the word has reached us that he's come back. He's in Narnia at this moment. He'll settle the white witch all right. She won't turn him into stone too, will he? Oh, Lord, love, Lord love you, son of Adam. What a simple thing to say. Turn him into stone? If she can stand on her two feet and look him in the face... It'll be the most she can do and more, more than I expect of her. No, he'll put everything right, just as it says in the old rhyme. Wrong will be right when Aslam comes in sight. At the song of his, sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. When he bears his teeth, winter meets its death. And when he shakes his mane, we shall have spring again. You'll understand when you see him. We'll get to see him, asked Susan. Why, daughter of Eve, that's what I brought you here for. I'm to lead you where you shall meet him, said Mr. Beaver. Is, is he a man, asked Lucy. Aslan, a man, said Mr. Beaver sternly. Certainly not. I tell you, he is the king of the wood and the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. Don't you know who is the king of beasts? Aslan is a lion, the lion the great lion. Ooh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he, is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, and no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they'll either be braver than most or else just plain silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mrs. Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. No, he's not safe. See, he doesn't invite us to what's safe. There's nothing in Scripture that's, 
that, that about it being safe to be a Christian. He is not going to leave us like we are. He wants to bring major change to our lives. He's not safe, but he is good. And what he offers is a relationship with the Father. He's the, he's the, he's the king of the wood. He's the king of kings and Lord of lords. And he is worthy of your submission and mine. He's worthy of your worship. But he is never safe. Father, we just thank you for who you are. God, I think that if, if Easter teaches us anything, it's, it's the simple fact that, yes, you are not safe. But you are good. And God, I just pray that as we one more time just reflect upon the, this time of year, the, the events that took place during this Easter time and I just pray, God, that it won't be some old story that we read about and, and just kind of go through the motions of following every year. But, God, it'll just grab a hold of our hearts and, and help us to see Jesus for who he is. God, thank you so much for who you are. I thank you for this, this message here, just to, to looking at what, what you're all about. You, you want everyone to come to a knowledge of your son. And that just becomes abundantly clear. And like Israel, I think that sometimes we blow it. We, we have these opportunities right before us, and we cling to the things that we, we, we think are secure for us, and yet we're holding them back from people who need to hear them need to know about them. So I pray that you would help remind us of what our responsibility is as Christians to, to be salt and light and to share who you are. So God, as we, as we think about those things, we pray that you would convict us of that. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together. Mm -hmm.